Goodbye Forever by Volume 2 by Nat Chang Rinpoche. Chapter 7, Part 1. <coughs> Chapter 7, A Tributary to the Esk, July 1974. I awoke. I sat up immediately. I sang the syllable R. I sat for 20 minutes. There was morning practice to attend, or I would usually have sat for an hour. I'd felt extremely clear and alive on waking. The air in Scotland was good, and there was plenty of it in the bedroom as I'd left the window wide open. It had been cold, but there'd been blankets aplenty, so I'd slept well. No dream, however. I'd rather hoped that there would have been some dream and new revelations. Hope and fear were two of the mundane concerns that I was supposed to reject. And although I was not given to fear to any unseemly degree, I was a devil for hoping. Or rather, I was bedeviled by hopes. I had more hopes than a hedgehog has quills. I could recognise my mundane hope and not fall prey to giving them any undue weight. But the religious hopes were governed by the sense of what was expected of me. I was supposed to be a tulku, the incarnation of Aroyeshe. But beyond a wealth of infant visions and a smattering of childhood and teenage dreams, there was scant evidence of my being anything other than an average eccentric. I was an artist, a poet and musician. Such people were commonly inspired by the muse, but if there was more than that, only Dujam Rinpoche had confidence concerning it. Of course, I had complete confidence in Kyabje Dujam Rinpoche, and so, by extension, I had confidence in what he declared. That is why I felt frustrated and why I hoped. I simply wanted to be in alignment with Dujam Rinpoche's insight. That was all in the few minutes it took me to get dressed. Dot's knickers were part of the ensemble, not that anyone would be the wiser. I'd taken the challenge, however, such as it was, and descended to the shrine room for the morning practice and thence breakfast. The morning practice was magnificent. It was not magnificent in any normal sense because these were the early days of Samyi Ling. It was simply a room with coloured stripes around the walls and a small shrine. It was magnificent in placing me exactly where I felt natural. I felt as if I'd come home. I'd left Britain I was in Boldenath again, even though Kyabje Dujam Rinpoche was not there. I'd requested a copy of the chanting text in advance and it was duly provided. The text was large and easy to follow. The chant melodies were not familiar, but they became familiar quite rapidly. The residents seemed to like the fact that I had quite a loud voice. 
and afterwards they said that they'd appreciated my vocal encouragement. Apparently Akong Rinpoche had been pleased by the increase in decibels. I failed to tell them that I'd only chanted at level two on my amplifier. The practice concluded and we left the shrine room in silence. So, how do they fit then? asked Dot at the breakfast table. A teensy low on the hip, I prefer the superhero style, I laughed. You know, like Superman and Batman. Otherwise, they fit admirably. Dot laughed. He was broad at the shoulder and narrow at the hip and everyone knew you didn't give no lip to Big John. Splendid, I smiled broadly. I've always enjoyed quotation. It's a good song too. This was almost like being back in Hotwells with Penelope, Merrill and Rebecca, but slightly more riotous. You're a new species to us, remarked Jan, so Please don't blame us too much for sporting with you. None of us are used to men who lack characteristic male inhibitions. And so our conversations continued. Breakfast being over, I set out on the task assigned and went into the meadow on the other side of the road. I was to feed the yak and dree who lived in a field up a slight incline overlooking Samiling. That yak and dree, son and mother, were not on good terms. They tended to smack their foreheads together in unaccountable rage. The romance of being a solitary yak herder became somewhat lessened after that spectacle. Teton Rangrig Togden was said to have been able to wrestle one of those creatures to the ground with his bare hands, but I wasn't that kind of nakpa. After feeding the yakandri, I spent some hours in the candle-making shed where I was taught how to make candles, and then left on my own to make them. I had to use sections of plastic drain pipe. The insides of the pipe had to be oiled and then I'd pour in the coloured wax with any perfume I chose. The idea was to tilt the tube to build up shapes that looked like landscapes. I'd then have to weigh the candles I'd made, wrap them and price them for the shop. I talked with Nigel Redding off and on when he came in to see how I was getting on and he proved to be a friendly person. I see you've become friends with Jan, Nigel commented with a certain tone in his voice. Yes, she's a most cordial and intelligent lady. Probably, Nigel mused, underneath that prickly exterior. We're probably all nice people, really. She seems to need to put men in their place for some reason though and I find it difficult to have a conversation with her without running into trouble with her views on gender. Yes, I, I think I know what you mean, I obfuscated. I'd run into no such trouble. 
Maybe it's my skirt. Maybe that's given me an easy time conversationally. Perhaps Nigel laughed slightly mirthlessly. I hadn't looked at it like that. I was trying to avoid saying that Jan probably just didn't like being objectified and that I found women in general easier to get on with than men. Fortunately, Nigel moved on to other subjects and we talked about the different Tibetan schools and what made them particular. As time went by there, the people learned that I wasn't a threat or some kind of imposter in drag. Even Jarvis came round in the end. I never encountered the nun, who seemed to be more or less in retreat, but I never sought her out either. She was supposed to be around at certain times, but that never seemed to be when I was around. I came to learn that Jan, although a guest, was more or less a resident. I'm staying here to see whether I would like to make my home here. I've been here since January, but haven't quite decided yet. I'm almost sure I'll stay now because I have a lot of respect for Akong Rinpoche. We had Leonard Cohen here not long after I arrived. He was thinking about becoming a monk, but Akong Rinpoche advised him to remain a musician and think about becoming a monk later in life. That's what I like about Akong Rinpoche. He's not out to convert people. I would have liked to have met Leonard Cohen, I commented regretfully, to get his autograph. This comment caused me to narrow my eyes a little. Jan apologised immediately, asking me almost deferentially what my interest would have been. I explained that I admired his lyrics and that I had tried in the past to write lyrics that worked as marvellously well as those of Leonard Cohen and Bob Dylan. My lyrics are always too much like poetry, too complex and stuffed with unnecessary adjectives. Then, of course, I had to say something about Savage Cabbage and the whole history. And before I knew what was happening, interest in my robes was forgotten and a whole discussion on blues commenced. A man with a history, I am impressed. It seems we're sitting here with someone famous, Jan commented, addressing her remark to Kate. Yeah, I sighed, if you could get famous on history, I'd be famous, but no. I think Savage Cabbage was famous to a small number of people around the London end of Surrey, but that's the extent of it. I was never interested in fame per se, but with what was possible through it. I was interested in getting into a recording studio and being able to chat with people like Leonard Cohen to, to exchange ideas, to be part of a creative culture. Of course, the money that goes along with fame is always useful. It gives you time and space to be creative. Like the Beatles, Kate commented. Yes, I beamed. I'm a big fan of the Beatles, from Revolver onward. 
I would have loved to have been involved with all that. I used to have so many ideas and, well, that's all in the past now. It was completely wonderful while it lasted, but... The history of the tragic deaths of the lads seemed to touch them quite deeply, and Kate commented, So you've already had your share of teachings on impermanence and death? Yes, I sighed, I have, and I'm about as convinced as I need to be. Kate smiled wanly and asked, Is that what made you look at Buddhism? No, not at all. I've been more or less Buddhist from from about the age of eight. Then, of course, I had to explain the whole context with regard to trying to find the religion of the Vikings and finding colour picture books on Tibetan art at my junior school and thinking the wrathful awareness beings were something like the Vikings would have liked. That is as far from the average story as I ever heard, Jan commented with some surprise. You're really quite an oddity, in the nicest possible way, of course. She chuckled. So, with you, it's all about excitement and fascination? Yes. Nothing to do with compassion or... No, compassion was never my major interest. Then I noticed slight shock on Jan's face. But not because I have no inclination toward compassion. It's just that there's nothing that interesting about it other than being it. It delights me when I see it in others, but it's not otherwise fascinating as a subject. True, mused Jan. I'd not thought of it like that before. You see, I continued, I take compassion as a given. I'd be motivated to be kind, whatever my religious, philosophical or psychological interest was. I don't see that you can call yourself a human being if you're not motivated by compassion. Fascinating, Jan exclaimed. I can see we'll all be up talking tonight. I'm in, I grinned, but you may have to excuse me at some point. It's been a long day and I may just fall unconscious. I'm not used to getting up quite as early as they get up here. We'll be merciful, Kate condoled and turned to Jan. Can I ask how you're going to live here? Are you going to find a job locally or... No, I have an inheritance. It's not large, but the interest would support me here. And I'm thinking it might be a good place to settle if I can get a few wrinkles worked out. That's a good situation, I commented. And I think you're good for the place. Do you indeed? Jan chuckled. And why might that be? Well... I was mightily impressed by the way you handled Jarvis the night I arrived. I think that people sometimes need someone like you around in order to get a sense of realism. Realism? Yes, you know, learning to be real with other people and learning how to live with others with some degree of common courtesy. I see, 
yes, Tibetan Buddhism does seem to give some people the impression that they have the right to be rude and obnoxious. There's a lot of rivalry and one-upmanship sometimes, but I just laugh at them. And that's exactly why they need you here. Maybe they need you too, Jan smiled in a strange, far-off way, as if she'd had some distant memory of something filter through. That would be a nice idea in a lot of ways, but I'm taking a slightly different direction. I need a job that will take me out to India and Nepal once a year to see Kyabje Dujum Rinpoche. So I need to find myself a job as an art school lecturer. That makes sense, Jan nodded. But now it's time for a swim. Want to join us? Kate, Dot and Georgina are going for a dip in the Esk. We like to do that around this time of day if it's good weather. Certainly, I enjoy swimming, but is the Esk deep enough? It seemed quite shallow from the bank down there. We go up that little tributary stream. There's a twist in it where there's a deep pool and it's ideal for a swim unless the local farmer is on the prowl. We have to keep a lookout for him as he doesn't approve of skinny dipping and Akong Rinpoche has asked us to be careful not to offend him. That's just so you know and so you can keep your eye on the horizon. It's been a long time since we saw him, so maybe he's decided to back off. I sloped off to grab a towel and went to join the party outside. We waded across the Esk and headed up the little tributary. The place where the pool was to be found was not far off and was actually fairly sheltered. There was no real chance of being observed at a distance. On removing my shamtab, Dot shrieked with laughter. He really is wearing my knickers. What did you imagine? I asked as I took them off. I wouldn't say I'd wear them and then pretend to wear them. I don't do things like that. Is everyone in the non-monastic thing like this? Dot asked. I couldn't really comment. There is no vows against wearing ladies' underwear, as far as I know. Woo-hoo! Dot shrieked as I gained both feet again from having removed the undergarment in question. Dot seemed to be quite a one for shrieking. I never saw a man who shaved before. Right, I responded. It goes back to Annalie, my Swiss lady friend of a long time ago. She told me she thought pubic hair was unhygienic, so I obliged her by removing it. My, my, Jan said, accompanied by the familiar movement of her eyebrows. You certainly are an obliging man.